Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? All right. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would reveal your glory to us this morning. That we might see who you are, that we might see the Son as he is, risen and in his glory. Spirit, teach us this morning, instruct our hearts, move us, change us, heal us, transform us. We pray this in your name. Amen. In 2014, April of 2014, episode one of the very popular hit show, Fixer Upper, launched, which would then launch five seasons and then a sixth one to come. And many of you, I'm guessing, have seen this show. And if you haven't, um, it is a show about home restoration. And the end of the show would always uh, kind of end with Chip and Joe, the husband and wife team who does it. They would be holding on these big boards with a picture of the old, what the old house looked like. And they would say, are you ready to see? your fixer-upper, and then they would pull them away, and you'd see the, the owners of the house gasp in, in awe of the transformation and the change that happened in their house. And this fixer-upper show led to a whole uh, empire for Chip and Joe, where now they actually have a whole channel dedicated to restoration. Fixer Upper isn't alone, and it definitely wasn't the first when it comes to restoration shows. Uh, many of you have seen Lover List, List It, Flipper Flop, Good Bones, Renovation Inc., Hometown, and those are just a few that are kind of happening right now. Or if maybe you're not into homes, you've loved uh, the numerous car restoration shows that are out there, or furniture restoration shows, or people makeover shows. Right? It seems like we have a, a fatuation in, um, with revealing beauty and worth that was there that's been hidden or covered up with years of dirt and grime, whatever it might be, that there might be some beauty hidden in this ugliness, right? Or in the, the thing that is too old, that if we can just pull out the beauty and make it something truly special, that we love to see these things, right? We love that transformation process. Maybe we love this because if we can see the beauty that comes out of the ugly in these shows, maybe, just maybe, there's hope for us that the, there might be some beauty and some worth and some strength inside of us that maybe we just hope will get revealed someday, right? Either way, we come to this story that Greg um, read for us today, and it's a story about transformation. And it is the story of the transfiguration, and it is a very important story in Scripture. But it's also kind of a strange one that kind of comes out of nowhere. Jesus had just been doing all sorts of teaching. He had fed the 5,000. He had fed the 4,000. He had been up to Caesarea Philippi where Peter proclaims that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And about uh, eight days after this, in this process, Jesus takes three disciples up onto a mountain, Peter, James, and John. And it says that he takes them up on the mountain, and while he was there, he was transformed, he was transfigured, that all of a sudden his earthly body kind of fell away, and a new countenance was there. And the scriptures say, and this is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were so white, not just, just white, white, but almost lit up white, like, like as it with lightning. I mean, this was dramatic. That Jesus' earthly appearance went away and you saw his heavenly glory. 
We even see probably more of what this looked like if you read in Revelation. And John's uh, revelation of Jesus right there. So Jesus is transformed. And, and it doesn't just happen and there. All of a sudden, two figures also in this glory state appear with him. Moses and Elijah. And the disciples are there. And they see all this and they hear this discussion going on. And uh, Peter gets overwhelmed. And of course, he's the first one to say anything, right? Because that's, that's Peter. And he says, hey, Jesus, this is amazing. Let me build three tabernacles, three tents, places of dwelling here for you and Moses and Elijah. And we can stay up here and we can worship. And then as he was saying this, all of a sudden this cloud formed around them. And in, especially if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that when a cloud showed up, usually that was also the presence of God the Father, right? And this cloud showed up and you hear God speaking similar to the way he did at Jesus' baptism where he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Almost word for word what God said over Jesus' baptism. And he says, listen to him. And when the voice stopped and the cloud went away, all of a sudden it was just Jesus back there, back in his mortal, perishable form. And Jesus then leads the disciples down the mountain and they continue on the ministry. And it's one of those kind of speed bump stories where like, well, why, what happened here? What was going on? Why did Jesus do this? So I want to take a look at it today. And there's really so much packed into the transfiguration that I don't have time this morning to get into it. Things like, how did Peter, James, and John know it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, did they have name tags on? I mean, well, they, they, when Jesus greeted them, did he give them that typical bro handshake and a hug and say, hey, Mo, Eli, what's going on? Right? How did, how did they know? We don't know. I've got some theories, but we don't need to delve into that today. We could get into the Shekinah glory of God. But we're not going to do that today. We could get into the, to the discussion that Moses and Elijah had with Jesus, talking about Jesus' um, departure, or if you look at the Greek word, his exodus, which Moses knows something about that, right? His exodus from this earth. And like, all right, Jesus, here's your boarding pass. It's going to take you to heaven, but on the way you're going to go to hell and just show this at the, at the gate, and you know, you'll be on your way. Amazing things and deep theological things we could get into. But today I want to look at why did Jesus bring the disciples there? Many times Jesus would go off by himself to pray. I mean, it was a common occurrence for him to go off and into the wilderness, into the private, and just restore his soul and the spirit as he would pray. But this time he asked Peter, James, and John, leaves the other disciples, and said, hey, would you guys come up with me into this mountain to pray? And I, and I mentioned that this is an important story, and this really is a connecting point or a through line between Jesus' baptism, the start of his ministry, and Easter. We see the connection between baptism and this story with God speaking over Jesus, very similar words, right? This time, though, I think God was speaking not to Jesus, but to his disciples, and we're going to get into that. But the second through line the second connecting point to Easter is with the Garden of Gethsemane. Where if you remember, once again, Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to come with him to pray. And it's interesting, in both stories, it's recorded that the disciples fell asleep. 
Maybe the trek up the mountain was just a little bit too great. Whatever was happening, the disciples were praying. And as they were praying with Jesus, they just fell asleep. Now, I'm, I, one, I love this because every time I fall asleep praying, I'm like, well, I'm no better than Peter, James, and John, right? But you see this connection that I think one of the reasons why God or why Jesus invited the disciples up there was to prepare them for what was to come. The first time when Jesus invites them up to the mountain to pray and they fall asleep, they are awakened by the glory of God, the brightness of Jesus being transformed, and all of a sudden they're startled awake. And they are awakened to the glory, the, the eternal picture of Jesus. The second time when they go to the, gar- the garden to pray and they fall asleep, they are awakened not to the glory revealed of Jesus, but to the humanity revealed in Jesus. We're about ready to start Lent, and you will hear these stories of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in his humanity on full display as he is terrified and he is weeping blood because he is so scared and he's collapsing on the ground. And maybe Jesus wanted to see, have these disciples see him in his glory to, to give them confidence when they see him at his depths of his humanity, right? Maybe. I also think, just a little side nugget for us when it comes to falling asleep. I love the fact that you see the disciples going up to pray and they fall asleep twice in Scripture. Because I think there's a lot of us who can relate, not just to falling asleep while we're praying, but falling asleep in our faith. Where we've been doing good, we've been following Jesus, but we've just gotten tired and we've just fallen asleep in our faith. There just doesn't seem to be any life to it, and, and we just don't have any energy, and we're just, we're just tired. And it was interesting that the disciples were woken up by both Jesus' divinity and Jesus' humanity. And I pray for any of you who are possibly in that state of sleepiness in your faith, that either the humanity or the divinity of Jesus might come to you and might awaken you once again. So the, the first reason, I think, is to prepare the disciples for what is to come. The second reason why I think Jesus uh, invited the disciples up there is to give them an eternal perspective. And this kind of relates to the first. But to give them an eternal perspective. And this is what I mean. You guys all live in this world. You're all humans, I think. And you understand a basic thing about life, and that is life is constant in its change. Right? The only constant thing about life is that it's ever-changing. That we're always changing. Things around us are always changing. It is one of the truths about this world that is we are in constant change. And here at this, this moment, Jesus reveals the one thing that doesn't change. God. In the midst of all the change that happens around us, he says, but here is Jesus lifted up in his glory, unchanging for all eternity, forever and ever. If you think about the world and change, it's kind of interesting, almost a little depressing. The world is in constant change, but it's in constant change towards decay, isn't it? 
I mean, even Newton's second law of thermodynamics, if you're familiar with it, says that the world left by itself actually moves towards entropy, moves towards decay. Everything about change moves towards that state. Decaying, entropy, falling apart. You understand this. Let's go back to the fixer-upper analogy. If you own a home, if you don't do anything to it, what will happen to that home? It will eventually, the paint will chip off, things will fall apart, it will rot, the house will eventually collapse in on itself, right? You would think if you just left it by itself, it would just stay in that state forever, but it doesn't, right? You understand this. Think about muscles. If you don't work out, your muscles don't stay the same strength. It's not like, okay, I could lift 50 pounds before, and if I don't do anything, I'm going to be able to lift 50 pounds. That's not how it works, right? You understand how entropy works. If you don't keep working out, keep pushing yourselves, you are going to get weaker. Think about relationships. I mean, if you don't work at your relationships, they're not just naturally going to stay the same or get better, right? There's a reason why marriages are such hard work because it would naturally fall apart on its own. You have to work at it. Any relationship you have to work at because naturally things change to decay. Right now we're seeing a world in the midst of war, in the midst of disease. We're seeing a world in the midst of change, but not in a good direction, right? Friends, some of you need to hear today, just like these disciples heard, that there is something that doesn't decay. There's something that doesn't rust. There's something that never gets dirty. It never gets weak. Something that is always faithful. And that is God. And sometimes we get so used to looking at the world and at all the change and all the decay that we forget that there is one out there that never changes and is always good, always perfect, always loving, always truthful, always faithful. Something that we can hook our, our anchor to, that we can hold on to and say, you know, in the midst of everything going this way, this does not change and I can hold on to this. And maybe that was the anchor that Christ was trying to give his disciples when things were going to go terribly bad. Remember who I am and that God never changes and he is always faithful. And for some of us here today, we just need to hear that again, that God is always faithful. He will never change. He will never stop loving you. No matter how much you change for the bad, he will never stop loving you. And he always wants to forgive you. The second reason is to have an eternal perspective. And I think, friends, so often in my life, I forget to look at things in my life, in my work, in my family, and all of that through an eternal perspective. And it makes a big difference. The last one, the last reason that, I, at least for the purposes of this sermon, that I think Jesus took the disciples up there, was to remind them to follow him. 
If you remember that God spoke the very familiar words to um, over Jesus as he did as a baptism. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says, and listen to him. And even if you get it in the language, it's a, in meaning listen and obey. That this wasn't just a proud father saying, look at, I, I, look at my son, I'm so proud of him. But he says to the, to the disciples there, now follow him. You've seen him in his glory, now follow him. And I think this was needed because right before this, Peter is saying, hey, let's set up tents here and let's camp out and let's worship you right here. And Peter was missing the point. A lot of times we also miss the point where we like to set up camp in the, in the places in our lives where we've seen God's glory, we've been in his presence, and we stop pursuing the righteousness of Christ because of it. Most of us, maybe all of us, have had moments in our lives where we have encountered the glory of God. Whether that was at the moment of your salvation when you finally said yes to Jesus and, and you, you experienced that glory. Maybe it was at the birth of your child, the restoration of a friend that was lost. Wherever it was, maybe it was at a spiritual retreat. Or a work camp for the youth. And we see this all the time where you've gone and you've had this mountaintop experience. You've, you've been in the presence of God and you are filled up. And you want to kind of just stay there. Stay and worship almost that place instead of worship the God who showed up. And you want to just put those places, those experiences up there and be like, God was in the past. God did things on that mountain back there and I'm down here and I need to go back to that mountain to worship him. I need to get back to him. And we realize that Jesus has left and the glory has followed with him and we need to go with him to worship him wherever he goes. Or we just say that, you know what, that experience was enough. It was awesome. We were up there. We saw Jesus. He changed. I'm going to remember this forever. That was great. And you go off and you do your thing. This title of the series that we're ending today is that love never ends. God's love never ends. And friends, I want to, I want to give you a promise here, but I don't want you to, to just sit in this promise. God promises in his love never ends, his faithfulness, and we hear it in Philippians 1.6, that we're... Um, it said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I am confident, friends, that if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, if you have invited him into your hearts, that you will one day be in heaven with him and you will have an imperishable body, as, as Sylvester talked about last week. The imperishable goes away and we get a new, um, a new imperishable body. That is going to happen. God will continue his work in you until completion. That is going to happen. That is a promise. But here's the thing. I think we forget, we, we hold on to that promise and we forget to start following Jesus in the meantime. Like, I, God's going to get me there, so therefore I don't really have to worry about it or I don't have to do anything about it because he's just going to get me to that day of completion and it'll be fine. I don't know how many times I'm saddened either by my own thoughts or the thoughts of people in the church when they just say, you know what, nobody's perfect, so why should I try? 
I know I'm going to be forgiven. I know if I make, make, make mistakes. I know if I sin, God's faithful. His love never ends. He will forgive me over and over and over and over. Friends, I think this is one of the biggest lies that we fall into, the, into as a church. The idea that God will be faithful and he will get us there, and he will, but that we don't have to do anything in the meantime. And when we do that, friends, it keeps us as infants in the faith. It keeps us as being damaged and not being healed. It keeps us imprisoned to our addictions and to our sins. It keeps us blind. So I want to appeal to you to not be content with the fact that one day God will make everything right in your life. But to this day, work on also being transformed the way Jesus was transformed. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, we see Paul saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world mold you in its ever-changing decay, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed is the same word that is used when it talks about Jesus being transformed on the mountain. Friends, there is a life that is greater than the one the world has promised, even if you have the promise of God to make everything right in the end. If you, are, if you have said yes to Jesus, I want to make sure you know this. You are a new creation. A new creation has birthed inside of you. 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. What this means is God is trying to do a fixer-upper in you. God is trying to change you, not towards decay, but to, to what is constant and permanent and good and holy and perfect. God is trying to do that work inside you right now. And here's the amazing thing. One day we will all be in heaven with him. But we don't have to wait for that transformation to happen then. We can have God do that transformation here. And so by the time we pass on from this life and God has to strip away what is perishable, there won't be much to strip away because we've already let him do the work here. We can start living in our eternity right now by letting God come in and have that new creation come and change us, build in us, work in us, reveal the glory that is there that God created us to be. But how many of us sit and let ourselves be conformed by the world? We say, well, I'm, just, I'm sinful just like everybody else. I can't do anything about it. Or maybe we've fallen asleep in our faith. Friends, I encourage you to stop settling for what the world has to offer. Because even in its pleasure, it's fleeting. It's perishable. It is really changing towards decay. 
Stop missing out on the eternal creation that God is trying to create in you because this is, this is the promise that when you let God transform you, you will find joy that does not go away, that doesn't get tarnished, that doesn't rust. You will find strength, you will find peace, all these things that are lasting for all eternity. Stop settling for what the world has. So when God spoke over to the disciples and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, follow him. Listen to him. Obey him. I want to give you three steps in this. If you're like, you know, this is where I'm at and, and I have been letting the world impact me. I have been asleep in my faith and I need to do something about it. Three steps here. The first one is repent. Repent. Repent isn't just an acknowledgement of what you've done is wrong, but it's also turning back to God and saying, God, I need to go your way. The second one is to submit, and the third one is to obey. And let me put it into another fixer-upper analogy. Our youth uh, of Calvary and, and many adults of Calvary for um, almost four decades have been doing work camp mission trips. We actually get to go back on one this summer. Praise God. We've been doing work camp mission trips where we've been doing fixer-uppers for people. And there have been a few times, it's not common, but there have been a few times where we have a work crew, we have youth working on a home, who the person just said, yes, there is something wrong with my home, I can't, I can't fix it, and they had to actually put in the application. That's the repentance part. It's acknowledging that my house is falling apart and I need help and I'm going to put in the application to get help. And so they had that repentance down. And then they have to submit to let teenagers come into their house with tools and hope that their house is still standing at the end of the week. Right? They have to submit to that. And then they have to obey as far as saying, hey, would you do this? Would you get this here? Would you move these things out of the way so we can, we can get in and do the work? And there, are, there have been some times, friends, where the homeowners there have not wanted us there. They realized something was wrong with the house. They put it in the application. They let the people come. And then when they're there, they're washing over everything. It's like, nope, you're not doing that fixing right. You better do it this way. Or I don't like that paint color. Can you change that paint color? And then, and then they're just not happy. And we've actually had one crew that left because the homeowner was like, I actually don't want you guys here. And as amazing as that is, we do that to Jesus all the time. We say, Jesus, I know I am wrong and I know I need help. Would you come into my life? I have to submit. I have to open up and let you come in and do the work inside of me. And that, my, that is one of the hardest things to do is that submission part. Say, God, I'm going to give up control. It, it's what you do, what you need to do. But then we're like this homeowner where we're watching Jesus' every move and we're saying, um, yeah, Jesus, I don't like that paint color there. Um, I didn't like the trim work over here that you're doing. And I know you're fixing the, the, the leak in the roof, but uh, I don't like all the pounding. Um, that's uh, annoying. Can, can you stop that? And we would rather let our lives stay in a place of decay of changing decay than letting God do eternal work in our lives that will last forever because we struggle with the submitting and the obeying part. Repent. You've got to submit. You've got to give up control and you've got to obey. If you do that, 
then you too will also be transformed here on this earth. Not the day when you, you see Jesus in heaven, but today. And that life is so much greater than to a life that is conformed to the world. Friends, this was a big event, this transfiguration. And Jesus intentionally brought the disciples up there so that they would be turned, changed and transformed and also we might be transformed as well. The world is changing all the time. But which way are you going? Are you letting the world change you? Or are you letting the glory of God change you? As we end here this morning, I just want us to sit in a little bit of silence as we kind of go before God. Ask for God's revelation to come before us that we might be in his glory cloud. And then as we continue with worship, we worship within the midst of that glory, knowing that God is faithful, that he is never changing, and he's wanting to do a great work inside of us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would um, wake us up if we're sleeping. That Jesus, you might even show up here and just bright lights um, that we might see your glory. We might see the risen Christ. The one that is unchanging. The one that is ever faithful. That we might hear God's voice speak over you and say to us, now listen and obey. That we might have the hope and the joy in, of being transformed into a new creation right here, right now, as we live today. Lord, we thank you. We praise your name. Amen. Would you please stand and worship?